thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? You guys doing well? Happy Thanksgiving week. Uh, like Pastor David said, my name's Nathan. I get the honor of serving on the team here. I'm excited to get to share the word today. And I just want to let all of you overachievers know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to get there in a moment, but that's where we're going to be today. And um, the title of today's message is Building Clarity. Last week, Pastor David began a series on building radiant. He spoke about building burdens, building these things in our hearts. Um, he talked about Nehemiah and how he wept and he prayed when he heard about the condition of Jerusalem. So that's, that's where we're going. That's where we're at. But first let's pause, let's pray, and then we'll jump into today. All right. You guys with me? All right. Just making sure, just making sure everyone's still kind of impacted by the Turkey. It's okay. We're going to warm up. It's going to be good. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that all scripture is God breathed. That's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Jesus, as your people today, God, we pray that we would be thoroughly equipped, not just equipped, but we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would transform us, that we wouldn't leave here the same because we've encountered your presence. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Now, this is just a hunch, but I feel safe with this. Uh, I think there is probably something that bothers you. That's full stop. That's the, that's the statement. Because I think when we go through life, I think we experience things that frustrate us, that, that bother us, that annoy us. I actually, I had a friend um, who would say, that makes my blood boil. I don't know. Whoa, okay. I don't know how angry you've got to be to get to blood boiling stage or how frustrated you've got to be or what you're emotionally experiencing to get to that point. But I think that there is a point with all of us have that we would say that we're frustrated, that something bothers us. Maybe there's an injustice that we've witnessed that we cannot unsee. Maybe there's something that's going on. Maybe there's a physical need. You see, you see someone or a people or somewhere. You, you, I've identified a need and you can't let it go. Maybe it's, it's someone who's hurting. Someone who's been abused or neglected. There's a burden. Something disturbs you or upsets you. You see, what's happening is you're seeing something that is not as it should be, and you can't let it go. I would say to you today that the frustrations you feel often reveal the callings you'll embrace. And I think this is where some of us are today. This is where some of us are right now. There are something, there are things in our lives that we've been, we've witnessed, we've heard, we've seen, and we can't let it go. We can't release it. We can't let it go. It lives rent-free in our minds over and over. 
And because we can't let it go, we're, we're thinking about doing something in response. Maybe it's a ministry thing that you've witnessed or a need that you've seen. Maybe it's a business endeavor that you're thinking about joining or starting. There's something that you just can't let it go. And you're, you're right on the front edge of going, what do I do with this feeling? And you have no idea that you could be on the front edge, the front end of something very special in your life. And I think as we look at the book of Nehemiah, that's where we find him. This is where the book of Nehemiah begins. Nehemiah on the front edge of a burden, of the front edge of a frustration, the front edge of a, of a holy burden from the Lord and going, how do I respond to this feeling that I'm experiencing right now? And before we get to chapter two, I wanna kind of lay the framework and give you some of the context, some of the backstory behind Nehemiah so that when we get to the text, we can appreciate what's happening. In 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army surrounded and sieged Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed the city. They burned down the temple. They destroyed it. And then they took all of the people captive. They laid waste to the entire city. And a few decades, just a few decades after that siege, what happened is a few Jewish people, some families moved back to Jerusalem to see if they could rebuild. But there was no economic system. There was no leadership. There was no structure. There was no hope, and they failed. So 140 years after that, we find Nehemiah. 140 years after the destruction, we find the ordinary guy of Nehemiah, who is just brokenhearted for his city. What I think is interesting that Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. He had, as far as we know, he had never been there. He grew up under Persian rule. So that's like it, us being really frustrated and burdened by the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. That's what was taking place 140 years ago. Like the Brooklyn Bridge went on. Like it's, it's finding something to be frustrated about that you aren't, you have no personal reference to. But Nehemiah, out of the burden that the Lord placed on his heart after hearing the news, could not shake this feeling. And he said, I'll be the one that does the work. I'll make a difference. Now, how does Nehemiah begin? Pastor David talked about this last week. I want to encourage you, if you missed it, you can go on YouTube and watch the message. But how he begins is amazing because he begins by seeking the Lord. Twelve times in the book of Nehemiah, we see a direct reference for him seeking the Lord, for him praying. Before he begins any of his activity, he begins spiritually. He begins praying. He begins fasting. Now, this is amazing to me because I think the timeline of the Bible matters, right? We read the Bible so often and we go from chapter one to chapter two and we think that it's like the next day or immediately following it, right? But if we read the text and we get some of the context, we can actually begin to put together a timeline of what was happening and how long of a gap is in between each one of these moments. So in Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, we find that Nehemiah hears the news in the month of Kislev. That is November, December. That is like this time of the year. So he finds out about the state of Jerusalem in the month of Kislev. And then Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, we now hear that it's the month of Nisan. I'm not gonna make any bad dad jokes on that moment, but it's chapter two, verse one. It's the month of Nisan. And that's been 
four months since he heard the news. So this is not an immediate action. This is Nehemiah taking time, taking intentional time to pray and seek the Lord. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter two, verse two. That's where we're gonna start today. Nehemiah says, now I had not been sad in his presence. He's talking about the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? Now I wanna pause here because this is an impossible situation for Nehemiah because he is serving an Eastern king. Now why that matters is because Eastern kings were absolutely shielded from hearing bad news. In fact, they disliked hearing bad news so much, they were so protected from hearing bad news that the person who brought the bad news to them was often murdered. So it was like good news only. So you have Nehemiah in the presence of the king looking sad, having bad news. That's where we're at right now. Why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Yes and amen. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to my king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah had something on his heart. It was, he had heard about the state of Jerusalem and he could not let it go. He heard that it was not looking the way that God had intended it to look. It was not being operated the way God had intended it to operate. He had heard about it and it frustrated him. It broke his heart. He responded with pain. And I think one of the traps for us is this, is that we want to live in comfort so badly that we keep discomfort, we keep frustration, we keep pain, we keep difficult conversations at arm's length so we never have to have an emotional response to what we're experiencing. That there are moments in your life that should frustrate you. There are things that will happen in this world that will break your heart, that will anger you, that will upset you, that will make you mad. Then it could just be a holy burden from the Lord because he's asking you to take a step in setting it right. There are these moments that we have to grapple with. And I love the response of Nehemiah because when he hears about the condition of Jerusalem, he is compelled to act. For us, what is the thing in your life that you can't unsee? I've talked to people who serve food downtown. They, they, they sacrificially serve homeless people in our community. It's, it's something they can't unsee. They know the condition of our city and they're compelled. What is it that you can't unhear? I've talked to missionaries recently and they, they talked about the, the child pregnancy rate in different countries and how it's, it's, they can't unhear it. They can't unsee it. They're moved to act because they can't forget it. What is the thing that you can't unknow? The thing that has gripped 
your heart like a vice and you can't shake it off. You cannot let go of this feeling. You, it's there. It is permanent. It's taking up residency in your heart full time and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what's going on with Nehemiah in this moment. Nehemiah knew he could do something but he didn't know what it was gonna look like. He didn't know all the steps just yet, but he knew he had to respond. So Nehemiah's first response should be our first response. He responds spiritually. What could you do right now? It's a simple question. And I think sometimes we think we have to have a larger than life answer. Well, I've got to start this huge thing. I got to do all this, these things. No, no, no. What could you do right now before even that? Could you commit to prayer? Could you commit to fasting? Because if you take one simple step, if you do it consistently over time, it will yield incredible results in your life. I mean, it's, just, it's the concept of compounding interest. Fasting and prayer is easy to grasp intellectually while never doing it practically. You can mentally know that you should pray and never pray. You can mentally know that prayer is important and never pray. You can know that fasting is a spiritual discipline that God calls us to embrace and yet never fast. You can know all the verses about fasting and never do it. Nehemiah doesn't stop at the intellectual understanding of it, but he begins with the practical application of it. He's going to pray and he's going to fast. How will you fast? How will you pray? What's the day of the week? What's the thing? What time will your alarm go off? Well, maybe you'll skip your lunch hour so that you can spend time praying in your car. Maybe what is it? Whatever it looks like for you, but what is it? What is your spiritual response to that, that, that holy burden, that frustrating point, that thing that won't let go of your heart? What is your spiritual response to that? My hope is that it'll be our first response, not a last resort. S.D. Gordon has this famous quote on prayer. He says, prayer is not the only thing to do. Listen, we're gonna spend the next three points talking about other things to do. Prayer is not the only thing to do, but it is the chief thing to do. When it comes to prayer, nothing is too big for God's power and nothing is too small for his heart. There's not one situation that you will run into in this life that is too big for God. And there is not one moment and one situation in your life that is so small, God doesn't care about it. And the trap for so many of us is to try to become so self-sufficient that we're never put in a place where we need God. So what David was alluding to earlier, many Christians, we, we, wanna, we, we wanna experience miracles, but we never wanna be in a position where we need them. And Nehemiah says, I'm gonna respond spiritually. That's his first step. That's his first response. The next thing he does is he defines the vision Clearly, I love this because Nehemiah could have stopped when he found out Jerusalem was in ruins. He could have heard the news and let it go. He could have stopped there. He could have stopped at praying and fasting. He could have just like, hey, I'm praying for it. I'm hopeful and I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna do anything. His spiritual response is amazing. It should be our first response. But if you are going to be a leader, if you're gonna be a person who takes action, who makes a difference, it can never be your only response. 
Nehemiah could have stayed in a safe bubble, working his safe job under the Persians, staying where he was at. I imagine living in the palace in some, some way if he was the cupbearer to the king. But what does he do? He prays, he fasts, and when the time is right, he begins to take action. And here's what Nehemiah does first. He defines the vision clearly. For most people, it's not a lack of, it's not a lack of caring that is our problem. It is a lack of clarity that is our problem. What's the first step? What do we do? How do we proceed? What, what should we do? What's the, what, what's the, how should we begin making a difference? How should we begin addressing this burden that we're feeling? How should we begin? What should we do? How do we start? Where do we go from here? From experiencing the emotions, praying, fasting, responding spiritually. How do we go from here? Define the vision clearly. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter two, verse four. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And in verse five, Nehemiah says, send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. One sentence. You talk about defining the vision clearly. The king, the most powerful person on the face of the planet at that point, says to Nehemiah, what are you asking for? And he gives him one sentence. Send me to Judah so that I can rebuild it. Do you notice that Nehemiah doesn't say a lot of other things? He doesn't say, well, um, your highness, your majesty, um, uh, well, a few, a few months ago, I was, I was at home and my cousins came over they had been traveling and they, they began to tell me stories and we were just catching up and it was great and we were drinking coffee and it was wonderful. And, but then they started telling me um, that they went to Jerusalem. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? I had never been to Jerusalem. And when they were there, they actually said that it wasn't as nice as what I heard it was going, it was supposed to be like. It actually was pretty run down. There's, there's walls are gone. There's no gates. Things, um, you know, we have a temple where we worship the God of our, our nation and, and it's not there anymore. It got destroyed. And, and I, as I heard about this, I was really, it really upset me. Is it upsetting you? It's upsetting me even just talking about it now. And it, no, 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 it is not the Ramble Fest. It is not a monologue. It is not a 15-minute dialogue on what, all the narrative of what's happening. Nehemiah gives one sentence. Send me to Judas so that I can rebuild it. That's defining the vision with clarity. That's what you need to say. What is the burden that God is placing on your heart? Define the vision clearly. There's broken people in our city who need food, and I'm going to feed them. There's people around the country who've never, or around the world who have never heard the gospel, and I'm going to go. What is, what is your vision? What is the thing God is calling you to do? Because when you have an opportunity to do more, when you define the vision clearly and you have an opportunity to do more, guess what you get to do? You get to do more. Watch what Nehemiah does in chapter 2, verse 6. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. 
So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Like I said, for most people, it's not a lack of caring that is our problem. It's a lack of clarity. Define the win. Nehemiah said, here's what I need. I need provision and I need protection. I need lumber so I could build the walls, the gates in my home. That's what I need. And I need protection. I need letters of safe conduct so I can travel this highway. And I need military. I need army people to come with me to protect me. If we aren't able to articulate what success looks like, how will we be able to celebrate and give God the glory when we experience it? Nehemiah is operating with such clarity of exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for exactly this. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild it. Okay, what else do you need? I need lumber and I need safety. I need protection and I need provision. This is exactly what I need, king. And the king's able to grant the request because Nehemiah defined the vision clearly. Next thing Nehemiah does is he makes plans carefully. I love this phrase, a goal without a plan is just a wish. Many of us think we have to have this perfect plan to take ground. And it's just not true. I know every Enneagram one, just like their heart sunk a little bit. I'm there with you. I'm a fellow one. I know the feeling well. But here's here's the truth. A plan that you can act on now that's good is better than some theoretical plan that you think may be perfect nine months from now. In fact, you're never actually going to arrive at a perfect plan anyway. There's no such thing. So if we can take ground now, if we begin to move forward now, if we can begin to make plans carefully, of course, and move forward, that's going to be a better scenario for us than if we just try to wait until we have the perfect moment. So far, Nehemiah has had no perfect moments in it. There have just been moments that he sees the opportunity for. Let's keep going and see how Nehemiah does this. He makes plans carefully. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 13. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Listen, I don't care how rough you think your city is. If you don't have a jackal well and a dung gate, like we can't touch Jerusalem at this state. I was examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Nehemiah planned carefully. He inspected the walls. He just didn't show up with the lumber and say, all right, guys, let's get to work. Let's do this thing. Come on, let's do it. Let's go. Let's rebuild. No, no, no. He inspected the walls. What's interesting, I love this, is he actually did it at night when he first got there and he didn't tell people what he was doing. He just kind of snuck out at night so he could like plan and figure things out, get the lay of the land. What's this actually looking like? What walls, what areas of the wall have small holes in them or small breaches in them? What areas are gonna need more extensive work? Which gates should we prioritize? What's happening? What's going on? How do we prioritize our resources for this endeavor, this work that we're doing? I'm gonna make plans carefully. And I think the same is true for us. We need to make plans carefully. We need to do our homework. 
Maybe it's a, a ministry endeavor. Maybe it's a ministry idea that you have that you're wanting to start and you're wanting to, to take on and take ground in. Well, who's already, you can ask the question, who's already doing something similar to that? Can you set up a meeting? Can you set up a tour of their facility? Can you, can you ask questions? And can I just give you a tip? Listen twice as much as you talk. Ask questions, learn from them. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a business endeavor. Maybe it's a business idea. Can you find a mentor? Can you, can you develop the business plan? Can you think through all of it? Can you, can you listen to the podcasts that are gonna help you along the way? They're gonna teach you what you need to know for that particular industry. Maybe you have young children and you're like, I wanna parent well. Who, who, do you, who do you like their parenting? Who's that season ahead of you and said, hey man, I really loved how they did teenagers. I loved how they parented teenagers or I loved how they parented elementary age or babies or I love how they did this. So I'm going to set up a dinner and we're going to, we're going to ask questions and learn from them. I'm going to try to figure this out because I want to, I have this burden to raise my children well and I want to do this well. So I'm going to learn, I'm going to do my homework and make plans carefully. Or maybe you're single today and you're like, you're just wondering how do I navigate the season of singleness well? Find someone who's doing it. Find someone who has navigated it well, that you respect, that you admire. Set up coffee with them and ask them questions. How did you do this? What did this look like for you? Hey, when you're feeling this or you're experiencing this, how did you navigate that? How can we make plans carefully? What can we do to not just assume that we know when we show up, but pause and say, how can I carefully make plans to take ground? Success isn't an accomplishment in the future. It's doing the right thing today. So many of us, I think, in the American culture, we think that success is this finish line that we have in the future. That somewhere out there, that is what success is. And if I can ever reach it, if I can ever get there, then I will be successful. I would actually contrast that and say that success in the kingdom of God looks like obedience. So if I can go through my day and I can take a step of obedience, then guess what? My day was a success. And yours is too. But it takes making plans carefully. It takes us having a system. It takes us having a rhythm, a flow of our life that we stay in and we work in. Because you have a system for every result you're getting in your life. There is a system in place. So listen, if, you're, if you are spending less money than you earn, guess what? You have a system to budget effectively and your money, your income, your net worth will go up. If you have a system where you spend more money than you earn, you have a system too and your net worth will go down. You have a system. Maybe you have a system for how you read the Bible. I have a system. I read the Bible. I do a one-year Bible reading plan every single year. I am passionate about it because I have a belief that I don't want to just read the parts of the Bible that I like. I want to read all of it, even the parts that I don't like, because those are the parts I probably need to read that will make me a better Christ follower. So I have a system to read the Bible through every year. I read the entire Bible. That's the system. So is it success off in the future? No, no, no. The success is just... I'm going to make the right decision today. Why is this important? Because discipline will eat motivation for breakfast every day. 
If you can have a system that you're disciplined with and you work through, it will eat motivation for breakfast every single time. Your motivation will treat you like a, you're on a roller coaster. It'll go up, it'll go down, it'll go right, it'll go left, it'll go through loops, it'll go all these things. And it's crazy because the thing about roller coasters is you know where you end up? Right where you started. But if you're disciplined, it's like a train track. You can go miles and miles. Does it feel as exciting as a roller coaster? Nope. But I tell you what, one of those is effective and the other's not. Success in following Christ is obedience. So we need to plan carefully for obedience. We need to make our plans carefully. What can you do today in order to be successful? Nehemiah, here's what he's done. He's responded spiritually. He's defined the vision clearly and he's made plans carefully. The fourth thing that he does is he inspires people passionately. Now I would love to get up here and I would love to tell you that the moment God puts that burden, that frustration, that I'm gonna call a holy burden on your heart, when he, as soon as that happens and you begin to take action and move forward, I would love to tell you that everything is gonna go wonderfully in your life. I just don't think that's actually true. And I don't think it's actually biblical. Even in the story of Nehemiah, as you read through the story of Nehemiah, here's just a few things that you, you get to see. You get to see opposition, discouragement, distraction, fatigue. The question, is this worth it? And the question, is this even possible? I think that feels very realistic to our lives. I think most of us have had to answer those questions in our own lives at some point. But watch what Nehemiah says in chapter two, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Also, I told them, about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Inspiring people have faith that God is for them and that God is with them. Nehemiah is not a famous orator. He's not a famous preacher. He's inspiring because he had a belief that God was for him and that God was with him. Every time you see Nehemiah giving a charge to people, he's pointing it back to God is with us. The hand of our God is on us. There's a belief that God is empowering them to do something that matters, something that makes a difference. I wanna encourage you today, what you care about is not an accident. I think sometimes we think that it's just, we just fell into caring about a subject. We just tripped and, and, and found this thing, whatever it is. But I actually think, I don't think that any, anything that you care about is an accident. You see, God knew what he was doing when he made you. There's not a conveyor belt system in heaven that is like, okay, hey, all right, here's lot number 375, let's crank them out, you know? It's, the Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
that you are a one of one, that there is no one else like you in all of, in the entirety of human history. There has not, nor will there ever be another you. I think, I believe that God intentionally creates us disposed to a burden so that when we experience it, when we see it, when we see the things that are not like they should be, the areas of our lives, our church, our families, our societies, and it's here and you know that God wants it to be here. He wants the homeless fed. He wants the unreached reached. He wants the downtrodden put into place. He wants the lonely brought into family. I don't think that there's a single burden that God isn't aware of in your heart. Because I think the frustrations you feel often reveal the difference you're gonna make. I think the story of Nehemiah is the story of us. That's why I love the story of Nehemiah because you know what, he's not a pastor. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He didn't have an appointed position. He wasn't even a general contractor. And yet he's the one who God chose to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Why Nehemiah was an ordinary person who had a passion. He had a feeling he couldn't shake. And he said, I'll make a difference. And I think in our lives, as we journey through life, as we go day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and serving Jesus and following him, I think it's easy to sit here and go, I think we'll fixate on the, the small inconveniences those burdens cause us here and now. But my hope is that after a decade goes by, after 15 years, after five years go by, when we look back, we don't, we don't see the roller coaster. We see a faithful God going consistently through it all. That just like the story of Nehemiah, it's the story of a faithful God who uses a person who's got a holy burden, who's got a holy passion to see something that is broken, restored. And I think that can be our story. That there's a faithful God for all of us. If you would, I wouldn't, I'd love you to take a moment and just bow your heads and close your eyes as we... As we take a moment to pray here. And really the reason why we do this is I think we live in a world that's full of distractions. by closing our eyes and, and bowing our heads, it's a, it's a way to kind of push the distractions away just for a moment and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I believe that today there, there are burdens that, that God's identifying in some of our hearts. Maybe you already have that burden and you're already 
taking steps to, to make a difference in that area. But I think there are some people today that God is identifying those burdens. And if you've got that burden, just right where you're at, I just want to pray for you. Will you just stick your hand up in the air? Just right where you're at. Yeah, amen, 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 amen. You guys, you can put your hands down. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. God, I pray for these holy burdens to turn into holy passions in their life. God, I pray as they, as they pray, as they fast, as they respond spiritually, that you'll help them define the vision clearly. God, I pray for supernatural resourcing so that they can make their plans carefully. God, I pray for the right relationships. God, I pray for the right information sources. God, I pray for the right people to come around them that will help them take that step to plan carefully. And God, I pray that you would supernaturally inspire them so that they can inspire others. God, I pray that they would have an unwavering faith that you are with them and that you are for them. And then today as we're talking about the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the story of Nehemiah, I think it's important to note that in Psalm 118, the psalmist writes that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Some of us are feeling a frustration, a burden, a gap in our own life that because we're looking at our lives and saying, it is not as it should be. And today, you want to take a step and respond to the gospel and say, the, the reason it's not where it should be is I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short. I know that I've made mistakes and I have never accepted the grace that Jesus Christ offers me. And today, I want to make today the day of my salvation. Today is the day that I want to respond. I want to cross the line of faith. I want to exchange my life of sin and shame and mistakes. I want to exchange it for the perfect life of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, you say, yes, I want to respond to Jesus today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just right where you're at. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. If this is you, if you raised your hand, I just want you to, to make this prayer your prayer. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we'll be saved. So I want to encourage you, just take these words and make them your own. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of all my sin and all my mistakes. I give my life to you and I receive forgiveness and grace because of your cross, because you died for me. So Jesus, I commit today to following you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together as we stand on our feet for everyone who prayed that? Come on. Amen. Ready? Let's stand on our feet.
Amen. Our ushers are going to come forward. I just want to thank you. I know Pastor David said it at the beginning, but I just want to thank you for being willing to go on this journey with us, for being committed to being people of prayer. Again, we're not asking you to do anything specific other than pray and ask God. Our bullseye, our aim is that you would be obedient to him and him alone. Um, so before we take up our offering, before we continue to worship, we've got Pastor Tom, one of our trustees. He's going to come up. He's going to pray for our offering, and then we're going to worship. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Tom. Are you grateful for all that God has done for you? Join with me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord God, we thank you that through Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sin, the healing of our bodies. You've redeemed our life from darkness, God. You have crowned us with loving kindness and compassion and you satisfied our years with good things. And you've given us your living presence within us. We thank you and praise you, God. And Lord, we ask that you receive these tithes and offerings today. Just worship. It is our worship to you, God. And for the honor of your name, may these gifts given, God, bring salvation to the lost, healing to the hurting, freedom to the bound, comfort to the weary, hope for the hopeless, Lord God, the advancement of your kingdom here in Kansas City and ultimately in the world. Lord, as you multiplied, the fish and the loaves in your hands. We put this offering as worship into your hands. And may you multiply it to, for your purposes in Jesus' name. And everyone said...